I'm Shauna Van Bogart, and this is Just Being. I was born without a sense of smell. Yeah, I'll give you a second to just sit with that for a moment. Yes, I can still taste. Yes, I still wear perfume. Duh, I still wear deodorant. No, I really can't smell you, but I can still hear you. When my husband and I started dating, we had our first dinner date. We were both totally broke when we met, so we didn't actually go out to a formal dinner until after a month and two officially dating. And by formal dinner, I mean the local casual Italian place. I was driving, and as we're going along, I'm noticing Jay getting shifty in his seat. Finally, I say to him, is everything okay? He says, yeah, yeah, I'm good. But I can tell that something is not okay. He then starts rolling down the window. So I'm thinking, he's silently farting. He's totally farting, and he's worried that I can smell it, which of course I can't. Then he starts looking around the car, to which I finally say, just tell me, what is going on? And he says, your car, Shauna, smells horrendous. Like rotting, dead body, reeking. I am full on humiliated. I start freaking out as we're driving down the road, asking him to look around, to look under the seats, and there is nothing in my car except a pair of flip flops in the back seat. So I ask him to smell them. Maybe I stepped in something. There's nothing. We both could not figure out where that smell was coming from. So we get to our destination. We roll down all the windows while we're inside eating, hoping to air out the car. The ride home was just as bad. Of course, I can't smell it, but I'm feeling awful and humiliated because clearly something is going on. Well, I finally discover a few days later that I had put my trash in my trunk and I had forgotten to drive it over to the dumpster of my apartment complex. And it had been sitting in there for like two weeks in the South Carolina heat. And so there I was riding along, just as happy as could be without a care in the world, just jamming along to my Jay-Z with a huge dumpster pile emanating the most horrific smell throughout my car. And I was just swimming in it. I feel like this could not be more of a perfect metaphor for what my dating life looked like after my breakup and before I met Jay. A perfect facade on the outside, but a huge reeking dumpster pile on the inside. I told you earlier that when I broke up with my ex, the first public outing I made was to a business networking event where I would actually meet Jay for the first time, my future husband. But I was fresh off the breakup and so not interested or in the headspace to be meeting anyone. We'll revisit this scene later. But shortly after this networking event, I knew I didn't want to stick my head in the sand. So I decided to challenge myself with saying yes to every first date for an entire year. I had heard of someone else doing this and thought, you know what, that just sounds fun. And it would hold me accountable to staying out there. And obviously my only exception was if I felt intuitively unsafe or uneasy around someone, I would obviously honor my safety first. There was no end goal in mind, none, no end goal. I just thought it's a challenge. 
It will keep me distracted. I won't get in my head. And clearly I am not the best at choosing men. So I don't trust myself. Therefore, I really need to just be open. I just need to be open. And if anything, I will have some very interesting stories, which I did. And after the first date, then I can decide yes or no. I figured, you know, there might be some people out there that I might be judging a little too quickly because clearly, again, my judgment was not so good. And so maybe I just need to give it a shot. Maybe I will be surprised by liking someone that upon initial judgment, I would have said no on that first date. I'm not going to sit here and say I was like being asked out all the time, but I, I was probably at least once a month going on a first date. And... I did, you know, meet some people that I would probably not have gone on a date with and it ended up being a really nice time. And I also had first dates with people that I would happily never see again. But nonetheless, my fun experiment kept me open, kept me out there, and I got to meet a lot of people. So I stayed true to this and it wasn't until eight months in that I found myself saying my very first no. And that no goes out to my husband. I spent all year saying yes to first dates from guys. I knew we're not going to turn into anything. And along comes my future husband and I break my challenge to say no. And I not only say no, I say no for three months to this man. He was relentless. Now remember, I had met him initially about nine months prior at a networking event. He claims he met me that night and told his uncle, who he was living with at the time, that he had met his future wife. My main recollection of that night was my friend pointing at Jay after I had told him that I had broken up with my boyfriend and my friend saying to me, well, you could date that guy. And he points to Jay, he's single. And me saying, no, thank you. See, I had known who Jay was. Despite meeting him in person for the first time that night, I had actually messaged him once prior to that evening on Facebook. Because in the networking organization's private group, Jay had University of Iowa listed as his network. That would be the first person I had met in South Carolina from Iowa, let alone the very school I went to. We also had this mutual friend, a gal I lived next to in Minnesota. And I grew up in the country, so I had few neighbors. And this is one of my friends who I used to hang out with when we were little. We used to meet up on the trails in the woods. So out of sheer excitement to meet my first Iowan, who was also in the same networking event, who was also friends with my childhood friend, who was my same age, exactly a week apart in age to be specific, two Geminis, the four of us get along excellently, by the way, I messaged him to just introduce myself. On his profile, his job title simply listed entrepreneur, and his bio photo showcased him painted as an American flag. We still have a good laugh about this today. I'll be honest, I totally judged him. This was not the photo that I, as the self-admitted, overly romanticizing, yet hot mess of a young woman, imagined as my future husband's photo. No, my soulmate's photo did not look like this. We met at this networking event. We had a very lovely conversation. I actually very much enjoyed talking to him. But again, I was in such a depressed headspace that That was really all I was focused on. There was no communication until months later when Jay actually hired me. Now, I know what some of you might be thinking. 
and I've really pressed him on this, but he swears up and down that he really did hire me for legitimate business purposes, not in fact to try to get close to me so then he could try to date me. What muddles his credibility here is the fact that he did proceed to start courting me, but in the most subtle ways he could find. So for example, he asked me if I wanted to go to the mall with him to shop, to which I said, sure, here's my image consulting bill. Let me know when you want to schedule your shopping session. He never asked me to go shopping again. He continued, however, to keep asking me to hang out. And this goes on for some time. I have an excuse for every single time he asked me out. I'm washing my hair. I'm taking my cat to the vet. I had all kinds of excuses. And generally what I would say is, oh man, that sounds fun. If it was any other day, I would be there. That was sort of my go-to templated response to him. I get an email from him one afternoon. It says, hey, I'm having a potluck on Wednesday. I'd love if you could come. I pull my templated response and write back, sounds fun. If it were any other night, I could be there, but I have other plans Wednesday night. It's not even 20 seconds later, I get a response. Great, it's actually on Thursday. See you there, bring a casserole. remember exactly where I was sitting when I got that email. I was sitting on the floor in my apartment with one of my best girlfriends from high school who had moved to Charleston. She's a bridal gown designer. She owns a very successful bridal studio downtown Charleston and went on to make and design my bridal gown for my marriage to this man that would happen in the future. And my jaw just drops. And she looks at me and goes, what happened? And I said, you are not going to believe the nerve of this guy. And she goes, what? What did he do? And so I have her read these emails and she just smiles and looks at me and she goes, oh, you've met your match. You've met your match. He was still texting me reminders to bring a dish right up until that Thursday night. And I did not. I did not show up. I refused to show up. At some point, he told me, you're either going to call the cops or you're going to date me. Jay is my eternal optimist. He has been the ultimate mirror in my life. Our marriage is unique. It's sacred. It's messy. It's imperfect. The story of how we met is one people like to hear, and we love it. The story thus far of our marriage is unique, messy, iterative, and filled with flaws. It's extremely human and not as perfectly packaged, but that's what makes us us. Jay was the first person to really witness me and every side to me a thousand times over, and to relentlessly continue to see me even when he didn't like what was being mirrored back. I cannot talk about my success without talking about the role my marriage has played in my self-development because my success comes from me just being me and knowing it's safe to just be me. And being in partnership alongside Jay has been an incredible, deep, and oftentimes painful and hard container in which to learn how to just be. But this does not mean it's static. Just being means continuing to discover new levels of being within each other. This is how we keep our relationship alive. And it's no coincidence that the more my relationship with Jay pushed me to go deeper into knowing my true self and abandoning all that was not the real me, that I also found what I was so badly looking for in my career the depth that I was seeking. 
At every stagnation point in my career, I always came back to the same thought. This feels too surface level. I want to go deeper. But my focus was mainly on the vehicle. Thinking deeper meant doing more, scaling bigger, climbing higher. I thought it was something external I hadn't yet discovered. It wasn't external, though. I was looking for me. All those years dismissing who I was and feeling so disconnected from myself was the very thing leaving me feeling dissatisfied in my career. For me to find myself, I had to get out of my own way. And while I had made leaps and bounds prior to meeting Jay, being in proximity to him and choosing him as my life partner opened up many opportunities to discover what I'm all about. My marriage has pushed on me. It pushes on Jay too. We push on each other. Just like you squeeze a lemon and lemon juice comes out, if you squeezed our marriage, our bullshit will come out along with our stubborn and determined commitment to facing it, both individually and together. You guys, I was literally driving around town with the smell of death emanating from the trunk of my car, and he continued to date me. If that doesn't set the relationship off on a good foot, I don't know what does. He was the first person to really see my literal and metaphorical baggage and did not flinch. I said no for so long, not because I wasn't interested, but because I knew it intuitively. I knew who he was. I saw my future and it was in him. There was this strong feeling of familiarity when I was around him and this sense of home, even though we were meeting for the first time. But that scared me. Imposter syndrome, the voice that says, I can't actually be with the one because then he'd actually see the real me. And what if he didn't like it? And you know the worst thing about imposter syndrome? It prevents us from receiving. It keeps us from our desires. It puts our abundance at arm's length where it taunts us, but we never allow ourselves to have it. Whether you work on imposter syndrome in your relationship or in your business, the healing will affect both areas. So pick whatever area you choose to work on because no matter where a sabotage block or resistance is being played out in your life, it all stems from the same place. So if you heal the core, it heals all areas where it plays out. I was happy to play out my first date challenge because there was little seriousness to it. And the less serious, the safer it was. Kind of like playing with the idea of a business, even conceptualizing or creating it is fun and light. But when there's real weight to it, when it comes time to get serious, sometimes you find yourself pumping those brakes. I didn't just pump the brakes when I met Jay. I hit the panic button under my desk that launched my barrier system and 10 layers of ice walls into place. My subconscious was screaming at me like, flight, flight. It's your husband, and it's marriage, and marriage is scary. Fly, 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 fly away from this. I knew, I knew it would prompt me to look at all this stuff again, and I was acting like a three-year-old stomping her subconscious foot on the ground saying, no, I'm not doing it. What got me out of it were those little moments, like the smell incident in the car, the opportunities where I couldn't curate, couldn't perfect, couldn't plan, couldn't facade, allowing myself to feel the discomfort of them in front of another person who did not judge me. 
Holding space for someone means simply being with them, not trying to fix, not trying to help, not trying to solve. And that can be challenging. We are programmed to be problem solvers for ourselves and other people. We so badly want to give advice and share our knowledge. And sometimes just holding space can feel lacking. And just as uncomfortable as the other person may be feeling bearing their soul to us, if we can't hold space for our own feelings, it's certainly going to be hard to hold space for others. But when we are holding space, just allowing someone to just be, we are doing so much. I would argue so much more than offering a solution. When you can simply just be with another person's messiness, imperfections, and humanness, you prove to them that it can be not only tolerated by another person, but okay. I'm not sure you even realize just how far that sense of okayness does for someone in those moments, especially a recovering perfectionist. They don't need you to problem solve. They need you to show them what it's like to be okay with their flaws. Sometimes when we move too quickly into problem solving, we're actually validating there is a problem and that subtle validation can do more harm. Imagine your friend coming to you upset because she just lost a big client. She's really upset and worried that she's doing something wrong in her business. The worst thing that can happen in that moment is a link is made between losing clients and something she's doing, an internalization happening. She personalizes it. And imagine that you move into problem solving mode. What you do is just reinforce a problem that may not even be a problem in the first place. By attempting to offer solutions too quickly, you've judged it as something that needs fixing. It's the judgment that's the issue. What if that client was a nightmare? What if that client would have been high maintenance or have led to a lot of drama? Who are you to say it needs solving when you have no idea what the purpose of losing that big client is? If you instead held space for your friend to just let her vent, to just let her express, to just witness her doubt in herself, her frustration in herself, you're not doing nothing. You're not being unsupportive because you don't have answers for her. You're showing her, hey, I'm a big enough person to bear witness to this and your emotions are simply that, just emotions. It's normal. You're human. If they can be expressed in the moment and we can be present for that, they're fully processed. No unnecessary links are created for them. No judgments, no narratives being made that can cause further harm down the road. Then your friend is free to move, agile, and in the right mindset to take action that's truly right for her. This is not saying that you shouldn't have boundaries. This is simply saying, allow yourself to just be and trust that you will know when it's the appropriate time to perhaps set a boundary or offer a problem-solving solution. Being with Jay has taught me the discernment of just being and just wallowing, and there's a fine line between them. You've got to allow yourself to just be with your emotions, but know when it's also time to take action. But before I could know where that line was, I needed to spend a tremendous amount of space in what looked like wallowing, solely for the mere practice of getting to know my emotions. Because you can't know something you don't spend a great deal of time with. And you certainly can't evolve something that you don't know. 
in one of the sessions with my coach, we got into this. She actually printed a sheet of words, all emotions, and told me I needed to start identifying with my feelings. At this point in time, I couldn't even speak in words or identify what it was that I was feeling because I was so out of practice. So I literally set a timer on my phone and for a couple of weeks, the timer would go off. I'd stop what I was doing and I'd check in with myself and ask what emotion I was feeling. That is literally how I got to understand my emotions because I was so far removed from them. You have to crawl before you can run. The old me would have passed off exercises like this as fluffy and totally unimportant. Nothing a serious business owner would ever be doing. For people certainly not like me, I would have argued, who needed serious help. Newsflash, I was wrong. Again, bigger newsflash, I think this is seriously some of the most important work for sustainable and massive success. If you're going to build a company, if you're going to impact your community and impact the world, emotional intelligence is absolutely necessary. I will tell you emotions have their stronghold in a lot of areas as they play out in our professional worlds, but a big one for a lot of the business owners I work with is debt. And it's the narratives, the judgment, the dismissiveness of our feelings around debt that translates into more debt and struggles with debt. Because of that tough year personally, I was struggling with debt, and the struggle went on for a couple of years. I had always viewed myself as an incredibly responsible person, and so letting my debt get out of control was incredibly shameful to me. I was in a lot of debt. Not because I was off spending a ton of money, I was really trying to make this business work from this old blueprint and surviving on debt, and deeply, deeply ashamed by it. And no one knew, not even Jay. And I started to just get totally consumed by that as well. So I'm in this debt and I'm starting to not even be able to make the monthly payments of this debt. And finally, I realize I have to tell my boyfriend because I'm getting debt collection calls constantly to my cell phone. And he could tell, I mean, this this got to a point where I was so stressed out and troubled by it that I had to own up to it. I had to own up to it. And it was absolutely terrifying to do, terrifying. I didn't even want to own it to myself. So then to have to own it to my significant other was a nightmare situation for me. And I was more so afraid because I was still telling myself I'm a bad person, I'm irresponsible, I'm stupid, I'm not smart, I don't know what I'm doing. All of this negative self-talk and this negative self-worth that, again, no one would probably have ever assumed that was happening within me. And then I would have to own that in front of someone that I'm in a relationship with, with this fear that he's going to leave me or shame me or, you know, whatever. All of that is outrageous fear. There's no sign or signal he had ever given me that he would ever react negatively. But that is how much our narratives and our belief system can get carried away with these stories that we make all these assumptions about how other people are going to treat us. And even when they do show us the love, even if they are there to support us, sometimes we're so deep into our stories and our narratives that we can't even receive it. We can't even see it when someone's trying to support us and someone's trying to love us. And so I was legitimately worried that there was going to be some negative repercussions when I tell him how deep of a hole that I'm in. We are sitting out at the pool 
in this shoebox of an apartment that we were living in. And I don't even know how we got on the subject, but I finally owned it. So here I am in the middle of this pool telling him that I have this debt and I am deeply troubled and I'm crying and I am having a panic attack. And he's calm and he's talking me through it. And I tell him that the amount that I had, which was fairly significant, and there was no reaction from him except complete support, complete support. And I, once again, I stuck my head in the sand. I was so afraid. I wasn't answering the debt collector's calls. I was not answering any of the letters that they were sending me. I did not want to address it because I was so scared. I was scared to talk to the debt collectors. And how ashamed I was that here I am, this supposed fierce independent business owner, right, with all this like, you know, strength and business acumen. And I'm afraid to talk to a debt collector. You know, the fear that I had at that time was so all consuming in so many ways that it was very clear that if I'm afraid of a debt collector, then how in the world am I going to step into a level of success that I'm saying I want for myself? Like if I can't even confront a debt collector, there are going to be much higher level challenges at higher levels of income that you are going to have to figure out how to manage this stuff and not be so afraid of it. That was abundantly clear to me in that moment that I was playing very small. And so this is a big aha moment because when you are saying that you want certain levels of success and you want to hit certain financial milestones, you really need to ask yourself, okay, you can have that, but who do you need to be in order to get that? And how is that in contrast to who you're being right now? So who I was being in that moment was incredibly small. I was being very, very, very fearful and scared. And as I mentioned, if I'm going to be scared over talking to a debt collector, there's no way I can carry around fear over something that really is just not that big of a deal because I'm going to have bigger, more important conversations at higher levels of success and wealth. I had to have him get on the phone with these people because I couldn't, I couldn't do it. And he offered that, and I was so, so happy to receive that help. I felt for one of the first times in my life this like unconditional support and love from a relationship like that that I had never experienced before. And to witness the way he showed up for me without any judgment and with just this unconditional support was a major major turning point for me because that was a really deeply shameful circumstance that I was in and to not only witness and experience what that felt like to have someone that I loved and was afraid was going to perhaps leave me or judge me you know to witness him hold space for me and to witness him hold space for my shame and then to support me through that that was such a light bulb moment for me It took me years to repair my credit, but I did it because I got out from under the shame and got back to realizing it was okay. Not ideal, but I was fixing it. I had to re-identify with who I really was, which is someone who's incredibly responsible and financially sound. And I had gotten further and further away from that the more I focused on the unhelpful narratives that I had created around the shame of my debt. 
what we focus on is what will play out in our reality. I really do believe this because I have so much evidence of that playing out in my life and the lives of my clients. When I started focusing on being a responsible person again, which was my truth, things started to change. Sure, it took a while to get back to excellent credit, but really, in the long run, it didn't affect that much. If anything, it just showed me how little of a deal debt really is if it's managed wisely and how great of a gift it can be if we choose to see it that way rather than its usage being a chink in our armor. The debt conversation is a big one. I talk about debt quite a bit in my high minds community and how to shift your circumstances around debt starting with your mindset because this is a heavy one that I see keeping business owners really weighed down. Be bigger than your emotions. Was it humiliating? Yes. Was I scared to tell my partner? Of course I was. Do I like admitting on the air that I was afraid of a debt collector? No, I'm human. No human wants to admit that they were scared of a debt collector. But you're not alone. The point in telling you is that these stressors are out there and they might be in your life. And I want you to know that there are places and spaces for you to really shift your reality. But you first have to be willing to go there, to show up, to feel it, and to fully own it if you want it to change. If you're willing to show up in this way, that is the first step. And the universe will move mountains for you the moment you take that first step. SVB here. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Just Being and that you'll be continuing along this journey with us in the next episode. In the meantime, I have pulled something from my personal toolbox and posted it for you over at my website on shaunavanbogart.com. You will definitely want this in your back pocket. It is for tapping into your truth quickly and getting unstuck fast. It is my personal three-sentence journaling hack that I use on a regular basis that helps me get really clear feel better, and attract what I really want. It's to help me get out of my head and into motion and into inspired action as fast as possible. You can find this tool over at shaunavanbogart.com forward slash get light. Just Being is produced by Jeremy Enns and the team at Counterweight Creative. Special thanks to Sarah Ashman and her team, Shauna Hader, Michael Weston, and Kelly Elizabeth for making this labor of love look and feel as beautiful as I felt creating it. And to my right-hand woman, Jess Butler, for always keeping me in line. 